This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Anisha Stude, Chief Financial and Strategy Officer of First Choice Health in Seattle. Anisha, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about in terms of some of the big things going on in healthcare today and opportunities for growth at First Choice Health. But before we dive into our discussion, uh, can you talk a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I joined First Choice about two and a half years ago. Uh, First Choice is a, is a 35-year-old company. We were started back in the 80s by a bunch of independent providers and health systems that got together and wanted a network alternative to the Bucas at the time. The First Choice Health was formed uh, along the way over that three-decade journey. We've developed third-party administration services because we were an insurer at one point in time, gave up our license but kept those, those tools and capabilities. We've added medical management services, uh, utilization and case management, and we actually added an EAP along the time, um, that time as well that currently serves about a quarter million people. Um, so right now, First Choice Health itself is a, works with about 800,000 unique belly buttons. Um, our you know, service area is really sort of Alaska down to Oregon and then Washington all the way into the Dakotas, the Midwest, Nebraska, and Iowa. So pretty big uh, geographies for which we serve, and we're growing sort of into the east and to the south. Um, so prior to myself joining First Choice, I was actually on the venture investing side. So I was working on behalf of two blues plans, putting capital to work, but really focused on healthcare tech and healthcare transformation. So what innovations were happening in healthcare uh, that we could actually help grow um, and energize? So my portfolio looked like virtual care and telehealth companies, it included women's health, um, non-emergency medical transport, management of, of kidney conditions, data and analytics. So very big, broad portfolio, but really, really focused on healthcare innovation in both tech and on the services side. Uh, prior to that role, um, I served in a role at an, in investment banking in New York, conducting IPOs, leverage finance, M&A, but again, for all healthcare companies um, as well. And then prior to that role was in consulting. So I've been in healthcare for over two decades and have seen uh, the industry from a bunch of different an- angles, but I'm really excited right now to be in the role I am in today, which is um, leading strategy and finance for First Choice. Absolutely. That's, you know, such an impressive career. And then to look at First Choice Health as well, um, the growth that you've had over the past few years, it just is phenomenal to, to see and understand. Um, from your perspective, what are the top one or two issues consuming most of your energy today? Yeah, so along my uh, career journey, I've seen sort of a bunch of these early stage companies that are really sort of serving as sort of I'd say, a stopgap for, for healthcare. We have folks that are entering the industry for chronic condition management, things, you know, diabetes management, uh, for virtual care, disease prevention, disease reversal. And there's all these solutions and this whole universe of solutions that are out there that are helping the patient try to manage the condition. But really, when you look at what's creating engagement and folks getting better and getting better outcomes is really accountability. And accountability can be served in a number of ways. Typically, a lot of these startups are looking for somebody on their side to say, yeah, you're doing really well. Here's how we, you know, here's a suggestion to help you manage your condition. But the greatest uh, opportunity we have to actually improve care and care outcomes is accountability, but as it relates to the patient-provider relationship. Patients trust their providers to deliver care. They trust their providers for advice. Um, they trust the brand name of the provider and the provider group and the health system to be the, the foray for, for managing that condition. Um, 
but what we're really running into and what we've learned and you know, our experience as a third-party administrator as well is that the, our approach to healthcare benefits historically has really fragmented that relationship. Healthcare benefits has become all about sort of what the insurer wants, what the, um, what's being paid for on the benefit, trying to access care, um, you know, all these point solutions, when do I use them, when do I not use them? And so really what's, what we're spending our time and, issue, and energy on right now is really what we're calling direct-to-employer products. We have a number of provider partners, and we're working with them to bring their health plan products to the self-insured market. And that is a really sort of different approach um, in the past. It's, you know, you look at other industries. I mean, when, when do you have somebody in the a middleman, really, between the purchaser of care and the provider of care? And so we're really sort of getting back to the basics. And, and in that um, relationship, we can do a few things. We can actually treat the client. Uh, the provider can actually treat the client and, and meet their custom needs. Uh, it can align incentives, um, both financial and other incentives through performance expectations and value-based contracts, all the stuff that's coming out right now through that they've done through MedAdvantage and things like that. How can I apply that to the commercial population? And then also how do you manage the unit costs and trends, which we know have kind of wildly exceeded inflation um, over the past few decades. So a lot of our focus and energy is really how do we think about creating these products, making these products the most valuable to both providers and employers, and really getting the insurer out of the middle? Absolutely. That's you know really fascinating to hear. And just kind of thinking along those lines, um, what types of, I don't know if it's technologies or other types of things are, are really um, helping to deliver on the patient expectations and the physician expectations as well, um, especially given you know, the capabilities that we have in healthcare today. Um, where do you really see those technologies and, and demands from um, providers as well as healthcare consumers headed? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Let me tell you a little bit about the product and then where we start to fit in some of those technologies and services. So what a direct-to-employer product look like, it looks like sort of a core of a high-performance network center around a group of providers and health systems that got together and said, we want to provide care differently. We're going to be at risk for performance, and we're going to share in the rewards that come from that performance. Around that, First Choice Health works with our provider partners to sort of wrap a, a regional network to make sure it's comprehensive and complete for employees, create a uh, wraparound for a national network so they have access when they're traveling. Um, and then we use our cap administrative capabilities to, to be that last mile. So um, taking that, that product and that network access and that value-based contract and bringing it over to the employers. So within those administrative capabilities are really where some of these uh, technologies and other things can really fall through. Uh, in order to do this, we need to be able to share data back and forth. So it, data back to a provider's population health management system, data back to the employer so they can understand how this product is operating and operating more effectively. So we've done work to do um, to really share that data back and forth. Uh, we're using sort of a platform that allows a better visualization of that data directly to the employer. And then we're sort of democratizing that data to say everybody should be looking at the same set of data. We're not kind of hiding it or, or, or being discreet about it, but to say if we're going to manage a population together, how do we make sure that flow happens and that understanding of those insights happen? Uh, there's a few other uh, places where we're plugging technology and services. Um, some of the work is around, you know, our clinical workflows. Um, if we want to really work better in this type of environment, you want to have really clean population health management when you're reaching out to somebody if you're managing a, a case. 
So how do we share data back and forth with um, clinicians? In some cases, we have access to EMRs where we, we can look at clinical notes. So if somebody at first choice is uh, managing individual and helping them navigate the healthcare system to something complicated, do we have access to clinical information and sharing that back and forth with the provider um, to give them you know, better advice and counsel and, and work in partnership? Uh, we also think about adding in tools and services around that. Um, so we have partnered with a number of solutions around the virtual care side. If the provider group doesn't already have a technology they're working with, um, uh, uh, virtually enabled behavioral health, and then um, healthcare concierge service as well to help folks navigate um, uh, these tools and services. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. And, it, you know, where do you see as the best opportunity for um, growth at First Choice Health in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So when I first started at First Choice uh, only about a few years ago, there was one partner with whom we were bringing so these direct-to-employer products to the market with. It was a, a health system that happened to be a, a client of First Choice that said, we like working with you. We want to bring this solution to market, um, and this is how we'd like to do it. That was in Washington in, in um, kind of the, the south of, of Seattle area. Today, we fast forward a couple years, and we have seven partners um, that we're working with in, in about eight different geographies that we're covering. So our focus really going into, it has been in 2021 and going into 22 and beyond, is really on growing the adoption of these products. For our early test cases, you know, we've seen some really remarkable, remarkable results. Sorry, <laughs> remarkable results. We have millions of dollars on average savings in one of our cases year over year, um, with one smaller client being on this product. Uh, we've seen uh, better adherence and closure of care gaps within the, just the first year of implementation, folks actually getting their A1C checked, folks getting um, their colonoscopies, getting into a smoking cessation program should they have that need. And then we're seeing better engagement between employers and providers. We're bringing the provider to the table when we're talking about designing healthcare benefits and healthcare solutions. I would say that um, uh, we're pretty grateful that our partnership has expanded really a lot in the pandemic. The pandemic has been particularly challenging, clearly, for hospitals and health systems. Early in 2020, people had to you know, shut their doors, haven't been able to provide care. Um, it's had a huge both revenue impact, a morale impact, a staffing impact. But through it all, a lot of our partners have said we really do want to work differently, um, work with our patients, the members, uh, and employers in our communities. And so really, we want to do well by them and grow membership um, into these products. Yeah, wow, that's, that's fascinating. And great to hear that you've been able to collaborate so closely with the providers and, and really understand, you know, what patients need and, and be able to design products for them. What are you most excited about for next year? Yeah, I think what I'm most excited is about is actually enhancing uh, these products and solutions. Clearly growth, um, growth in both our provider partnerships as well as sort of the membership there's a lot we can do when you're actually closer to where the patient is getting care to actually improve the product itself. And one of the areas uh, that we're really focused on is um, around member experience and around utilization management and prior authorization. And, you know, you ask anybody that question, is, is this a process you enjoy? And the answer is going to be wholeheartedly, no, thank you, right? Um, the provider has to do a lot of work to get care prior authorization, like prior authorization from the insurer or the carrier or the administrator. They're filling in paperwork. There's a back and forth. They're sending data back. It takes administrative time off of them. On the patient standpoint, you're waiting. You know, has this been approved yet? Can I get my care? Is it going to get paid for? Um, there's rules 
that can sometimes create um, probably inopportune um, incentives. I mean, even from a personal story standpoint, I remember I was pregnant with my first child and, and being kind of one of the many Americans that actually has kind of lower back issues. I went, okay, I'm going to be growing in the front. I should probably take care of the back at the same time. Should I, um, should I go get PT? I didn't have somebody I was working with in the past. And when I called my insurer, they were like, well, you need a prior authorization. And I went, you know, that's a lot of work. I don't have somebody. I'm going to have to um, get all this paperwork done. Oh, and by the way, this is a, it, this is time limited in <laughs> this pregnancy. So I want to get care as fast as I can. Massage therapy happened to be something that my insurer at the time did cover without prior off. And so I ended up going that direction. Though I think PT probably been a more sustainable solution. So we've created this sort of, you know, checks and balances, which are um, not opportune for anybody. So how do we revisit that as first choice in, in partnership? Um, we were looking at, you know, AI to uh, automate some of these approvals. We're looking at reducing um, the data that was required back and forth. Can we get access to some of those clinical notes in a more automated fashion? Or are we always relying on the provider office to send us information? Can we pre-authorize services based on claims pattern? Is there you know, a gold carding approach we can put in place? So essentially all of that is on the table for next year and really a focus on, on optimizing that process for everybody who's going through it. Absolutely. That sounds fascinating. And what a great example of how, you know, in the real world, these kinds of things make a huge, huge difference for patients and members. Anisha, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really enlightening discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you so much.